Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to SPE Tech Talk, technological evolution in OCTG geothermal projects, sponsored by Tenaris. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on February 21st, 2023. And now your host, Zachary Evans. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for this SPE Tech Talk with Tenaris. I'm your host for this broadcast, Zachary Evans, coming to you live from West Virginia here in the U.S. of A. While the geothermal industry has maintained relatively standard well designs, oil and gas well designs have significantly evolved. This, in turn, has increased the complexity of premium connections and materials used to seek optimization based on specific geological conditions. Recent renewed interest in establishing geothermal as a secure, CO2-free energy source has driven geothermal wells towards more complex environments. We're joined today by Tenaris to discuss the evolution of tubular technologies in over 100 years of worldwide experience exploiting geothermal energy for power and heat generation. Before we get started, let's take a look at today's poll question. In your experience, which is the most relevant challenge faced by geothermal wells? A, high temperature, B, corrosive environment, C, high fractured formations and high collapse loads, or D, flow optimization? Let us know your answer in the comment section, and we'll take a look at the results later in the show. Let's get started and introduce our guests. First, joining us today from Italy is Paolo Novelli, Energy Transition OCTG Projects Director for Tenaris. Paolo's extensive experience includes roles as Technical Sales Director of Casing and Tubing Products, as well as Product Engineer for Offshore Line Pipe Products. He holds a degree in Material Engineering from Politecnico University in Milan in Italy. Next, joining us from Aberdeen in the United Kingdom is Cameron Michaud-Sims, Technical Sales Engineer for Tenaris. Cameron is currently responsible for the UK, the Netherlands, and Denmark regions, and splits his time between conventional oil and gas projects and the energy transition sector. Cameron holds a master's degree in petroleum engineering from the University of Aberdeen. Hello, Paolo and Cameron, and welcome to SB Tech Talk. Hello. Hi, Zachary. Well, we appreciate you all joining us today. And we'll first start with our first talking point, which is what are some of the main geothermal challenges in different regions of the world? So let me take this, uh, Zachary. Um, first of all, let's analyze a little bit the evolution of uh, geothermal. As you were mentioning in the introduction, geothermal has been uh, exploited for many years uh, and in the last decades, mainly focusing on uh, power generation, high enthalpy, and so high temperature and uh, using typically standard well designs. Now, this has come to a change uh, in the last years, uh, driven mainly by the fact that geothermal is uh, evolving, moving uh, towards uh, new location and uh, different application. And these may have uh, arised uh, additional challenges that were not previously considered. Myself and Cameron will try to cover that both from the well perspective and from the tubular and premium connection technology perspective. Uh, I have a slide with me that probably will help us going through these different challenges that we see in geothermal well design. The first point is pretty obvious, it's related to high temperature. Uh, the main objective of geothermal well is to extract energy through high temperature fluids, but these may have some impact on the well design and on the tubular technologies. Heated fluids may be trapped in the annular, and these heated fluids may create a pressure lead to 
high collapse requirement. Furthermore, we may have cycles uh, during the production with different shatin, and this may translate uh, into cycles between tension and compression. Now, it's important to introduce at this stage uh, the two main applications that we are seeing uh, for geothermal energy, which are direct use, so the use of uh, heat uh, for heating purposes, houses, uh, schools, industrial facilities, and power generation. So far, historically, we've seen power generation being dominant. In particular, in Northern Europe, direct use has been growing significant in the last years. Now, where uh, for high for power generation, high temperature is one of the driving factors in terms of casing design, it may have a little bit less impact on direct use. On the opposite way, corrosive environment, so the presence of uh, liquid water, CO2 and H2S, which may thrive for sweet corrosion or cracking, may be enhanced and more critical for direct use, which occur at a temperature where corrosion finds a sweet spot compared to power generation. When we work in geothermal environment, we are normally targeting highly fractured formation, which allow fluid circulation and allow a high efficiency in terms of extraction of the energy. Again, dividing uh, between direct use and power generation, we see this characteristic typical for power generation purposes where we need to produce a very high amount of energy. From the tubular perspective standpoint, this may cause um, loss, loss of mud, which may again translate into severe collapse loads on the casing. One of the other key characteristics of uh, uh, geothermal is elevated flow rates, again, with the need of extracting as much as possible energy in economical and efficient way. The flow regime that we're facing may lead to pressure losses, erosion, or sealability issues. This may be enhanced and maybe even stronger when we speak about power generation and production of mainly steam. And then we have one last point that we would like to uh, to highlight and to discuss with you, which is related to the environmental footprint. We see that very much related to direct use and in particularly to wells that are drilled in urban environment. When drilling in urban environment, some special consideration needs to be taken in terms of pollution as well as social impact. This is pretty critical from the casing standpoint and may have some additional consideration, not only in terms of products and solutions that we may bring, but also in terms of services and logistics. Power generation is impacted a little bit less on this concern, considering that we can produce electricity in remote areas and then transport the electricity to the consumers. All right. Well, thank you, Paolo, for that for that overview. Cameron, switching to you now, um, can you give us an overview of the geothermal product portfolio that Tenaris uses to meet different regional requirements? Yeah, thank you, Zachary, and uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, I think, first of all, it's, it's important to understand what Paolo's just said in terms of two distinct geothermal segments with very different challenges that they face. In principle, the it's the same end product. We're using geothermal energy for energy requirements but the complexities are very different. So as leading tubular supply globally, it's imperative that we aid our customers to not only identify these challenges, but for look, look for ways to overcome them and optimize their well design to improve productivity, um, lifespan of the well, and the overall economics of the projects. 
Uh, I believe we've got a number of, of solutions to achieve that away from the standard well designs that might be considered as a, a base case. So as a tubular supplier, we have three main parameters within our control that we can refine in order to do that. The dimensional properties of the tubulars, the steel grades or alternative solutions, and the connections threaded to the end of the pipes. So if we start off with the fluid dynamics and well productivity, it's a key concept to improve the flow rates, which in turn will increase the overall heat and energy uh, generation, and will define the economic suitability of a project. And it's quite a clear area where the correct tubular selection can have a great impact. So we've made two main concepts here uh, that we're considering and uh, proposing to our geothermal customers. The first is quite straightforward, and it's simply to maximize the size of the production tubing in order to reduce dynamic pressure losses and improve the overall flow rate. Uh, and many operators are already considering this, uh, moving away from standard tubing sizes to a large bore alternative like nine and five eighths, or even 10 and three quarter inch, uh, where they can see some real tangible production benefits. If you look at the graphic on the left-hand side of the slide, you can see how big of an impact this can achieve, where we can estimate approximately 80% reduction in dynamic pressure losses simply by moving from seven inch tubing to nine and five eighths inch. Of course, a well is telescopic by design. So increasing the size of the tubing typically means you have to increase the size of the rest of the casing items in order to accommodate it. And this will have an impact on the capex of the project. So what we're considering here is more of a, a combination of solutions. Firstly, increasing the size of production tubing, but also pairing this with potential use of flush and semi-flush connections and refining the material selection to uh, ensure that we've got the better clearance, slimmer well design, and ensuring that the increase in production outweighs the additional cost of steel. Another solution for improving the uh, fluid dynamics to improve the flow continuity in the ID of the tubing and reduce areas that could induce turbulent flow. Of course, the, the pipe itself is a, a smooth conduit uh, with, with low roughness. But the areas of the connections, particularly where we're considering API buttress or semi-premium connections, um, can cause a, a kind of breakage in this continuity, uh, particularly when we're talking about uh, these non-premium connections with a, a recess in across the, the coupling. So. What we're proposing here is premium shoulder connections, which provides a solution to these, these issues. Uh, with the inclusion of a, a torque shoulder across this, this recessed area, known as the, the J area of the coupling, it ensures um, no disruption across the ID, reduces the risk of, of type of flow occurring, and improves the overall productivity uh, and risk of erosion occurring. And it's, it's important to understand that uh, erosion can be a, a big issue for these, these wells. Um, both for inducing further turbulent flow uh, and also for risking the integrity of the connection overall. Um, so it, as well as providing flow benefits, it's got additional benefits as well. Another thing to consider is that with that shouldered area, that contact between the pin nose and the shoulder of the coupling can facilitate a lot of additional compression efficiency, which is Another important thing to consider when you're thinking of high temperature wells uh, that could have some, some thermal expansion. So in short, by utilizing uh, a larger bore and premium connections for the production tubing, we can improve the productivity, increase the, the lifespan of the well, and retain better connection integrity. 
uh, benefits, which can be extremely important and shouldn't be overlooked in the design process, despite the additional costs they might come with. In addition, by using integral connections for the casing strings, we can reduce the cost impact that would typically come with an expanded enlarged casing design. Um, so the benefits are, are clear, um, but we do have some other considerations to take into account. Uh, and one of the main concerns for high NTP wells is for the high collapse well, uh, high collapse loads that uh, Paolo was explaining earlier on. And these can come from, from two distinct um, uh, areas, uh, either from uh, mud losses in highly fractured formations or from annular pressure buildup uh, caused by residual fluid behind the casing strings, then being heated by the produced fluid. Both of these scenarios mean that we need to ensure the casing strings are capable of resisting high collapse loads. And of course, I've just spent the last uh, couple of minutes explaining how we can bring benefit by increasing the tubing size, but it's also important to understand this will have a direct impact on collapse properties of the production casing, uh, which is mostly governed by the ratio of the outer diameter uh, to the wall thickness. So it's important to bear in mind that with this expansion, we also have to uh, consider the impacts we'll have on the collapse properties of the, the production casing. Um, for the, I think we'll move on to the the third talking point, which is yeah. Uh, could you give us some information on the technical evolution as it pertains to well design optimization? Sure. Uh, just before we go to that, I've got a question here from from JT on Energy Stream. Uh, he's asking what is the difference between flush and semi-flush connections. Um, Basically, you have three main segments for premium connections. You have thread and coupled, which is <coughs> two pin threads, which are connected with a, a middle coupling, a third element. And then you have integral connections, which are simply one pipe is threaded with a pin and one with a, with a box. Um, now, we can either have these as fully flush, which means the entire outer diameter is, is as it says, flush, or semi-flush, where the, the end of the pipe is expanded slightly uh, for the box and reduced slightly for the pin, um, <clears throat> which allows for slightly higher mechanical properties, but a slightly increased OD. Okay. So moving on to uh, your question, Zachary, the, the final talking point is we want to speak about the, the elements that are typically associated or attributed to uh, low enthalpy geothermal wells, which is, um, which is, becoming a lot more prevalent here in my region, in the north of Europe. Uh, but also, I know there's a lot of, of low enthalpy uh, in some other regions as well around the world. Um, and the main considerations we have for here is the corrosion aspect, <clears throat> especially if we're considering low alloy carbon steels as a base case in terms of the material selection. So corrosion is a purely kinetic reaction. So the assumption would be that corrosion would be higher in higher temperature wells. In reality, this isn't the case. Uh, and this is down to the formation of corrosion products and how these react within the system. Uh, for carbon steel pipes, iron carbonate is one of these corrosion products and one of the most relevant in terms of corrosion rate at varying temperatures. This is because of the CO2 partial pressures that we typically see in geothermal wells, iron carbonate reaches its maximum solubility somewhere in the range of between 60 and 100 degrees Celsius. The issue is that this is exactly the kind of temperature range that we're seeing for the low enthalpy wells. So we're kind of in that sweet spot uh, for, for corrosion. So once that maximum solubility is reached, 
solid precipitates start to form as a scale on the surface of the pipe bore. And this acts as a kind of a protective barrier uh, in a similar way to a uh, passivation layer uh, that we might see with, with highly alloyed steels, uh, such as 13 chrome, 13 super chrome, or even more exotic materials. So in real terms, what this means is that we see a maximum corrosion rate at this point of maximum solubility. <laughs> as I say, the temperature range that we expect for the low enthalpy wells. So that means that for the low enthalpy wells, we actually see much higher corrosion rates than we see with the high enthalpy power generation uh, sectors. Uh, so this requires some, some thinking and some innovative solutions. Um, and as I say, we take a lot of our experience from oil and gas industry. And typically in oil and gas, we consider these high alloyed grades, 13% chrome, uh, <coughs> 13% super chrome, or even more exotic uh, duplex, super duplex, 22, 25% chromes. The reality is that these solutions can be very expensive. When we consider we may have, uh, we also need to consider we may have the presence of H2S in the production mix. So they may not even be suitable overall for the project. So as a first point of call, it's important to understand the fluid compositions that we're going to be dealing with. The partial pressure of CO2 and H2S, but also the presence of other elements such as oxygen and chlorides and the overall pH. Often, particularly here in, in my region, the composition dictates that these high expensive steels may be required or corrosion resistant alloys. Um, and we have some knowledge of cases where this has maybe not been overlooked in the geothermal industry, but not given as much weighting as it should have. And these wells have been drilled with fully carbon steel casing and tubing, and eventually required intervention or even been abandoned after only a couple of years. Obviously with the, the tight economics these projects have, it's very difficult, <coughs> uh, very difficult to reach a, a break-even point if your wells are failing so soon. So it's very important to consider the conditions fully during the material selection phase. So if carbon steel is not appropriate and corrosion alloys are too expensive, uh, what is the solution? And we have a, a couple of solutions here. Uh, it's not a one size fits all, unfortunately, but there's a couple of options that we can take. Um, namely, these are either glass reinforced epoxy linings or uh, co internal coatings for the ID. So far, <coughs> The uh, more popular solution in my uh, experience has been GRE linings, uh, where we have, we don't have our own solution, but we work with two uh, third party suppliers. We have a very good track record with and both have excellent solutions. Um, the GRE linings have three component parts. The fiberglass liner itself, the bonding matrix, which is typically a cement, and then a, a conduit between, which is typically a, a flare system with uh, corrosion barrier rings. Um, the systems are very effective and the supplies that we use are, are excellent at what they do, but it does come also with some downsides. And uh, that typically is um, the reduction in the bore space. As I was saying earlier on, we want to try and increase this as much as possible, but when you then have a cement section followed by a fiberglass liner, you're reducing that ID. So that leads us to the third option, um, which is coatings. Uh, these have not been quite as popular, mostly because of a, <coughs> a 
a risk of, of damage and susceptibility thereafter for localized corrosion. Um, but the, there's two main parts here to consider. First of all, damage when running tooling or wireline. And second, during the makeup itself, where you have that contact pressure between the pin nose and the, uh, the shoulder of the, of the coupling. Um, <clears throat> so what we want is a solution that has a fully flush ID, high compression efficiency, but no torque shoulder. Uh, and this is where we have a solution that we call the Tenaris Hydro Wedge 563 RFB CB. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, but I'll explain what this means. First of all, the thread profile of this connection is what's called a dovetail profile. So as a negative stabbing flank and also a wedged helical path, which means that the final makeup points, um, all of the flanks are fully engaged. And this means we can achieve 100% efficiency in terms of the pipe body, potentially compression, burst and collapse without having that shoulder contact. <coughs> The RFB stands for recess-free bore, and that's a section in the J area. And then CB is for a corrosion barrier ring. So we have a solution with that fully flush <coughs> ID without uh, risking the integrity of the coating. So I'll pass on to, uh, to Paolo to finish off, that's okay. <coughs> Yeah, before we do that, we'll take, uh, we want to thank you again for, for your all's great commentary and information here. Um, and we do want to take a, take a look at our poll results from earlier today. Um, in, in your experience, we asked that our audience, what's the most relevant challenge faced by geothermal wells? And the uh, overwhelming response were, were both high temperature and flow optimization. And so uh, in, in, uh, in, your, in your gentleman's uh, uh, opinion, is that the results you expected to see? Yeah, I mean, sincerely speaking, there's not really a correct answer there. They're all, they're all relevant. Um, and it depends, again, going back to the, the two segments, it depends which segment you're looking at. Correct. Correct, uh, Cameron. Uh, let me step in here. Uh, I think that uh, it's more or less what I was expecting. Uh, high temperature is obviously what coming to the mind of everybody when we speak about geothermal. And uh, the productivity of the well is the other key topic which keep... Uh, our uh, our project alive. I will not underestimate corrosion, uh, and in particularly in Europe, uh, we have seen that it's becoming uh, a relevant uh, topic, impacting significant uh, on which are the solution for for a geothermal well. Excellent. Uh, and now we'd like to move to some questions from our from our audience. We got some good comments here in the yes. chat. So the first, we'll start with a question from Miriam, who asked, "Have you ever considered geothermal extraction from low temperature wells? If so, what are the optimization parameters that could maximize energy extraction from these low temperature areas?" I think it's a great question. First of all, yes, it is considered. Uh, and it's the direct use that we were speaking about. We're seeing an important growth uh, in the northern Europe area, in uh, uh, Netherlands, in uh, Denmark. Uh, there are complexity coming mainly from corrosion, as we were mentioning before. And obviously, we need to maximize uh, the energy extraction in order to have a project economical. How do we do that? It's mainly working on two aspects. One is the, the well design. The bigger the bore, the less fluid uh, losses we will have, uh, fluid pressure losses we will have, and the higher productivity we will have. And the second one is working on 
the inner pipe surface itself, again, minimizing the pressure losses. And this can be achieved through coatings or GRE, so having a plastic barrier with very low roughness, which is improving the overall productivity of a well. Excellent. Another question uh, coming from Robert on Energy Stream. He's asking uh, for high temperature and ultra high temperature um, are changes required due to thermal cycling? Are there any alloys or coatings to reduce scaling? Yes, two separate aspects, but as well two aspects that we see often. Uh, high, t- high temperature, ultra high temperature definitely have a bigger impact uh, in terms of uh, thermal cycling. Uh, and that was probably the first point that we were highlighting in, in the slide I was showing. How do we cope with that? Normally by selecting a steel grade that have been proven to be suitable for these cycles uh, between temperatures. Normally selecting a steel grade which is uh, uh, in the range of EAT, KSI, SMYS. And as Tenaris, we have also developed uh, through years of experience in oil and gas, again, from uh, SAG-D, steam-assisted gravity drainage technology, we have developed some uh, specific uh, steel grades uh, that we call thermal steel grades that have been proven to be suitable for thermal cyclings. The uh, second part of the question, uh, sorry, I, I, I don't remember it. Can you can you repeat the second part of the question, please? Okay. Uh, alloy, alloys or coatings, yeah. Thank you very much. It appeared now. Thank you. Uh, this is a different uh, topic, obviously. Yeah, coatings naturally has the capacity to reduce uh, scaling. Scaling is increased uh, and has the, the and can be triggered by a rough surface, as can be a raw uh, steel surface. Coatings naturally, by reducing the roughness, improve uh, the productivity and reduce scalings. Another question from Camilo on our energy stream. Um, Does it mean that corrosion due to carbon dioxide will be higher in the deepest, highest pressure uh, portions of the completion? I would not say so. I think it's uh, a a balance uh, among the different properties that we're finding. And by properties, I mean pressure, partial pressure of CO2 and temperature. Uh, We saw in the slide that Cameron was presenting that there is a sweet spot for sweet uh, corrosion. This might happen in the top of a well or in the bottom of a well, depending on the fluid and reservoir characteristics. So it's not general and it's not easy as well to define where CO2 uh, corrosion will appear. And Cameron, maybe coming to you on this one, a question from Taylor on Energy Stream who asked, are you typically seeing a larger conductor in surface casings as well? And if so, how large? No, not, not typically. Um, Although we want to imp- increase that that production tubing, we try to not increase the full scope of the, the well to uh, reduce the steel cost and make sure we're not having ridiculously sized uh, conductor and surface casing. So typically we're seeing pretty standard sizes uh, for the, both the conductor and the surface casing, um, 30 inch, 20 inch, 18 5 eighths, um, with potentially a 13 3 eighths intermediate casing. Excellent. Um, so running running short on time now, again, we want to thank you guys for uh, all of your um, your contributions. Uh, Paolo and Cameron, we really appreciate you both joining us for today's SPE Tech Talk on technological evolution of OCTG geothermal projects. How should people get in contact with you to learn more? Well, personally, I work a lot with uh, LinkedIn. So I think that here currently you're seeing my LinkedIn name as well as the QR code to ask for my contact. 
please do that and I will be very happy to, to accept you and to have you in my network. Yeah, my email address is there. If anyone's got any questions, they want to send me directly. Excellent. We encourage all of our audience to get in touch with our Tenaris representatives. Again, Paolo and Cameron, uh, we really appreciate your involvement today. And a special thanks to Tenaris for, for making you guys available. A reminder to our audience, you can watch replay of this episode on the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse. Visit streaming.spe.org. Again, I'm your host, Zachary Evans. And join us again next time right here on SPE Tech Talk. Thanks for listening to the SPE Tech Talk podcast sponsored by Tenaris. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. For more information on Tenaris's commitment to the future of the energy industry, visit tenaris.com.